Well, good morning. Glad that you're here. And, um, you know, this past week was a special week in our household. It was my birthday Monday. I turned 53. Yay. Um, thank you. Survived another year. Um, yeah, it was good. I try to forget about birthdays these days, but um, my family was gracious and cooked my favorite meal, and we had a, a nice little time together. And it was interesting. I got... Everybody gave me awesome presents. One, one kind of sticks out this morning as I was putting this message together. My daughter Sophie, which all of you know, I think, she gave me, she overheard me talking a couple weeks ago, I think, about a uh, lunchbox that I had when I was a little kid in first grade. <laughs> it was a $6 million man, the bionic man. Now, if you're not my age, you probably don't know what that is, but uh, the $6 million man was a, a thing, a TV show. And I had this little, <laughs> I had this, I had this metal lunchbox. That's also back in my day. You know, had these metal boxes with the little uh, clip on it. And you open it up, and they had a little like arm in there for your thermos. I never had a thermos, but I had the little arm. But she heard me talking about it, and so she got one online somewhere. It was from somebody who owned one. So I don't know. It could could be the same one that I use. I don't know. But it's kind of rusty and beat up. But it was like it's exactly like the one that I had when I was in first grade. And so I opened it, and I, I mean, I, yeah, I opened that present, I looked at it, and I was like, all of a sudden, it was just so weird, because here I am, 53, and I looked at that lunchbox, and it automatically took me back, like, to when I was in first grade. It was like my whole life flashed before my eyes, and they're like, do you like it? Like, yeah, yeah, I like it. It's just so weird, you know? It takes me all the way back to the beginning, and I think about this whole journey that I've been on. Um, but it was very cool. I love it. I put it up in my, in my office. Well, this week we are, this morning we're continuing this series on the letter from Paul to the church in Galatia, right? And Paul is taking the people, the Christians of Galatia, back to the beginning. He's taking them back to where it started. See, Paul had started these churches in Galatia, right? The church in Galatia. And he had started it based on the gospel, and somehow, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, they're getting sidetracked. And so he's bringing a bit of scolding and a bit of warning. And there are those who have tried to infiltrate the church and change what the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ is. Um, they're changing it from the message of um, grace and faith to works and religious duty, right? They're distorting it, he says. And so as we come to chapter 3 here, we see just how frustrated Paul is still as he begins uh, the beginning of this chapter. And he is seeking to recenter these Christians and warn them um, and show them what they're doing and bring them back to the gospel, to the beginning, what it's all about. And so um, let's look at Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole chapter um, although we'll, we'll address mainly the first half of it and do the second half next week, but I want to read the whole context of it, and so we'll begin in verse 1. And Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. I love the way Paul writes here. Just tell me one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? 
Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. God, speak to us this morning. 
Reveal yourself to us, Lord God, that we might adjust our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul starts this chapter again pretty harshly, right? You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, Paul's not saying you were there. He's not telling them they were there at the crucifixion. Neither is he saying, you know, you remember last Easter when we had the pageant and we had the guy dress up like Jesus and was crucified on the cross like it was portrayed in front of you. No, he's saying I, I began this church. We began this church on your faith in Jesus Christ. I shared with you the sacrifice of Jesus. You heard it. You put your faith in Christ and him crucified and we're saved. That was obvious to you. It was clear to you. Now you're complicating it. Somebody has bewitched you. Somebody has tricked you. You know, we love to complicate things. We love to overcomplicate things. We love to figure something out that no one else has figured out. Pastors get into this trap all the time. I want to say something meaningful, especially with the social media age, you know. Um, we want to put our twist on the gospel. We want to get a, a cool clip, right? We'll leave out a little bit here. We'll add a little something there. Something to make our churches or our, our feeds or whatever they're called go viral. But the gospel is clear and the gospel doesn't change. It doesn't have to be clever, right? And the key to the gospel, and I believe the aspect that we, we may not think about often enough because we're, so, uh, we're, we're trying so hard to get people saved, right? We're trying to communicate in such a way that people can understand it. Let's, let's, we want to identify with the culture. We want to communicate in such a way the gospel so that they see that it's a benefit to them. It will make your life better. It'll even keep you out of hell. And so we run down that road for a little while. We strategize and we lose fact that first and foremost, the gospel is about God. The gospel is about God Almighty first and foremost. And when we miss that and we begin to try and make it about man and we say, well, you know, that sounds kind of weird because it's about salvation, right? It's about redemption for me, restoring. No, this is God's doing. This is God looking on you and looking on me, looking on man mankind, seeing our brokenness, our sinfulness, our rebellion, and making provision. And doing something about it. It's not about our cleverness. It's not about our religion or our ability to keep salvation or to get it. Without God's activity, you would be lost and I would be lost. Romans 3.11 says this, says this. It tells us that there is none that seeks after God. It is God first and foremost and His grace. His desire for you to be reconciled with Him. And He's made provision for that. His grace. Paul talked about that, remember, in chapters 1 and chapter, chapters 2. Yes, the gospel is good news for you and for me. It's a great message of good news. But it is because of God. And so as we look at chapter 3 here, what I want us to see are three things in regards to the gospel that I believe Paul shows us about the gospel being about God first and foremost. And the first is this. The gospel is about God making me alive, about God making you alive. In verse 2 there, he says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? See, he says, this is begun by the Spirit. Your relationship, your walk with Christ, the gospel, the good news was begun by the Spirit, and now are you trying to finish by means of the flesh? So what he's saying here about the beginning is this is a God thing, right, in our lives. This is what God did. Now you're trying to take control. In Ephesians chapter 2, I don't, I don't have this uh, on the slides, but it's very important. It says, and you were dead in the, trans, uh, in the trespasses of sins, trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. So he's talking about all of us. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the, and power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. See, you and I, without God, we are dead. Not physically, but spiritually, although we are dying physically. On our own, there is this curtain. Without, the, without God interceding, there's this, there's this uh, fog, right, of our understanding of the things of God. We can all remember back to a time, if you're, if you're a Christian, you remember back to a time where it didn't always make sense. You couldn't understand completely all of it. God intercedes by His Spirit. And opens our eyes. He makes us alive. We struggle to try and get some form of God or spirituality in our lives. But the Bible says that's a dead end. Until God does a thing. Right? God does a work and it's by His Spirit. In Titus chapter 3 verse 4 through 7 says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness... But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This process is called regeneration. That's what he says right there, right? The washing of regeneration. What is regeneration? Well, one definition that I like is fairly clear is the work of the Holy Spirit to unite the sinner to Christ by breathing new life into that dead and depraved sinner so as to raise him from spiritual death to spiritual life, removing his heart of stone and giving him a heart of flesh. See, the Holy Spirit of God awakens us to the truth of who he is. The Spirit convinces us, right? The Spirit draws us. That's what Jesus was talking about when he talked to Nicodemus, remember in John chapter 3, he talks about being born again. He told Nicodemus, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So it's an act of God. It's like uh, without the Spirit of God, it's like us trying to watch. You ever try to watch a 3D movie without the glasses? I remember we went, <laughs> thanks for being honest. Nope, never did that. That's pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I remember we were in Disney World one time and our kids were little and one of them got extremely upset because we were in this 3D movie. And so 
I didn't know what to do because he thought everything was coming at him. So we took, I took off mine, he took off his, and it was all blurry. He couldn't really tell. The effect was gone. That's what it's like trying to understand God and the things of God without God's grace and without his spirit interceding. God moves by means of his Holy Spirit. He moves in your heart. He moves in mine. That's why Paul says, are you trying to take what began with the spirit and now give it to the flesh? People tell me all the time, I have these conversations, especially in New York City, you know, we have a lot of intellect around. People are more intellectual than they should be, maybe, or think they are. Um, But I get this all the time from people. I need empirical evidence. You got to show me by some scientific observations or some, you know, hypothesis, whatever. I don't know what all the words are, but they, they tell me I've got to see it for myself. You know, otherwise I don't accept it. I, that's ridiculous. And my response is, well, you accept a lot of things without necessarily those, that empirical evidence, right? Justice, beauty, all kinds of things. The point is, without the move of the Spirit of God on your soul and in your heart, you will not believe. And when the Spirit does move, you're changed. My eyes are open. I can give you empirical evidence this morning. God changed my life completely. Changed my heart. Changed my desires. I've observed that. From seven years old. It's not a theory. I experienced it. By the way, I'm a very skeptical person, especially if you're going to tell me somebody, some man was dead and then rose from the grave. I'm skeptical about that. And yet, I believe beyond the shadow of doubt that Jesus was God's son, that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried on the third day, rose from the grave. Why? Because I'm so smart? No, because of God's grace, because of his spirit opening my eyes and drawing me. Now, sometimes, listen. I know what some of you are thinking. Let me just straight, let me just give it right now. We get bewitched. We get sidetracked sometimes. We talk about, oh, really? So wait a minute. Are you saying that we don't have a choice? Are you saying that God does that and then we're just kind of, it has nothing? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you do understand, when your eyes are open, when you do believe, it's an act of God. It's because of God's grace. It's because God has opened our eyes to that. And some people say, well, is that, does he open everybody's eyes? Does he? God moves by his grace in our lives, and we must respond in faith. Both of those things are a reality. God moves by his grace. He speaks, he whispers to our hearts, and he calls us to respond in faith. So this morning, the question is not, well, is that me or have I done? The question is, will you respond in faith this morning when you hear the truth of the gospel? When you hear that Jesus died for your sins and came and he makes you alive and he, it's about God reaching into your life. Will you respond to that? It's not about trying to figure out all these other things. It's about that. Don't be bewitched. Don't be, um, don't let it be complicated for you. God is speaking to your heart. Will you respond? Ultimately, it's him that makes us alive. It's him that gives us a sensitivity to the things of God, that opens our eyes to the things of God. So it's God that, the gospel is God making me alive. He does a work in me. It's also God making me righteous. It's about God making me righteous. 
He says in verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What's he talking about with this curse? Well, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and 13 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. There's a curse. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. This is the curse, the curse of sin and death. And what Paul is saying here is, if you're trying to go by the law, if you're trying to uncurse yourself by obeying the law in the end, you're still cursed. And that's true of all our attempts to redeem ourselves, not just the Mosaic law, but as long as I'm trying to find God, I'm trying to find um, redemption, righteousness on my own, I remain cursed. I may feel better for my, uh, about myself for a season. I may feel like I'm making some progress in my journey to be a better person, to be more spiritual. But what God says is, until I receive what He has provided, by faith, I am still living under the curse of sin and death. Because, He says in verse 12, the law is not based on faith. And the gospel is Here's the good news. In verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Yes, all mankind is cursed and fallen because of original sin, because of our own sin. But those same passages of Scripture, Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus took the curse and was cursed for us. And so he makes us righteous. Another um, 20 cent big theological word is justification. That is our justification. It's the gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous only through faith in Jesus. David Platt comes up with that definition. But that's what it is. God makes us justified before him. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we must be justified before God because we are cursed. We are guilty. There is no coming to God apart from being justified, being righteous. And God made provision for that justification. He made us right. We all know that a judge is not a righteous judge is not a just judge if they just let sin and crime go unpunished, right? They don't bring justice. God is the ultimate judge. He is perfect in his justness. Now, we may think, well, he's nice. Oh, that's, the, that's kind of the, the soft God that you have lets people, just lets whoever get, all, get away with anything. If, I go, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and we go down that path, like how could God do that? How could God judge sin? How could, how could you know, that only goes so far because I'll say, well, what about this? What about that? What about murder? What about rape? Well, wait a minute. God is just. He's perfectly just. And so there needed to be sacrifice. There needed to be punishment. There needed to be payment for your, your and I, uh, our sin and our rebellion. We needed to be justified, and that's what he did by sending Jesus not only to overlook 
our unrighteousness, not, not to do that at all, but to make us righteous. He provided for us. He gave Jesus as the atoning sacrifice, the payment, the justice for your sin and for mine. And so you don't have to try and figure out, have I been bad enough? To, have I sinned? Have I crossed that line? No, we all have. And Jesus has paid the price for that. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, you can be justified and be declared righteous before holy God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's amazing. We sing these songs about what Jesus has done and God's grace and all those things. Man, that is just overwhelming because that's what we're talking about. That's what God did for you and for me, made us righteous because of Christ. Our legal standing, one day when we stand before God, if we come in Christ, we will be righteous. If we come in our own efforts and our own kind of trying to figure it out, we will be cursed still. We will not be righteous. Remember last week I Quoted C.S. Lewis, there's two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. But this is the heart of the good news. This is good news. It's the gospel. Jesus has come. He's taken the penalty. He's taken the payment for our unrighteousness. Now by faith in him, I am declared righteous before the Father. I don't completely understand that because in my flesh, somebody's going to pay. You, you offend me, it's going to take some praying for me not to want to get back at you, right? Well, I, want to see, I want to see somebody pay for this. Well, somebody did pay. Jesus came and paid for my sin and paid for your sin. I didn't earn it. I didn't work a little bit harder. I submitted to it, surrendered to it this morning. And listen, what makes Paul so offended, you know, some of these verses, he starts, he sounds a little, you know, like, what's wrong with you people? Who tricked you? How'd you get this way? Because he knows by adding to the gospel, adding to what Jesus has done on the cross, adding to God's provision for righteousness, cheapens what Christ did on the cross. Remember the end of chapter 2 where he said, listen, if you can add anything else to it, if it's anything else, then what Jesus did on the cross is useless. It's a waste. And so we, we surrender to it. Jesus said on the cross as he hung there, it is finished. He has done what needed to be done for you to stand before holy God today and on the day when you leave this life and stand before him face to face and him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, not because of all the good you've done, but because of the good his son has done on the cross. So don't be tricked by men. Don't try to add a little self-righteousness into the mix. Humble yourself and receive the gift. And if you have, rest in that. Worship in that. So the gospel is God making me alive. The gospel is God making me righteous, praise God. And the gospel is finally God making me holy. He says in verse, he said back in verse 3, remember, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So there was a beginning and there's an end, right? And there's, there's that in-between time. He's saying, did you begin with the Holy Spirit and now you're trying to finish in the flesh? See, God is making us holy. That's that process. That's that process of sanctification. And you may say, well, what's the difference in holiness and righteousness? Well, Oxford Dictionary um, defines righteous as morally right or justifiable, virtuous. 
So we are, that is a condition of being. That is who you are. You are righteous. God has declared you righteous in his sight because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is settled. That's who you are. You're part of the club. I heard somebody give an illustration. It's about, it's about a ballerina in the New York uh, ballet. She's been accepted to the company. Now she's part of the company. She's a dancer there. She belongs. You are accepted. And holiness is, holiness is, is more of a partnership. Holiness is sanctification. Holiness is a transformation. Holiness is like that ballerina working every day and continuing to work that out, continuing to, to, to organize her life about, around being part of that, um, that ballet company. But holiness is living out that righteousness. To be holy is, uh, according to the, the definition, set apart, dedicated, or consecrated to God or religious purpose, sacred, similar to moral. So it's, it's this act of living out our righteousness day by day. Now, I said it's a partnership. It is the gift of God. It is the Holy Spirit moving, right? The Holy, that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying the Spirit brought you to this place. The Spirit made you alive. And now the Spirit will transform you. But you're trying to do it by works of the law. You're trying to do it by your own strength, right? 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, for I am holy. Now when he says be holy, you and I can't do that on our own, right? Why would he say be holy? We can't achieve that on our own. But listen, when God saves us, makes us alive and declares us righteous, he begins a process of transforming us, making us holy, our desires, our lives to be set apart for him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, Paul wrote, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. So he's talking to these believers. He's saying, we've all, we've all come to him. We've all, um, we can all see now. We've all been made alive. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There again, even though it's us working out our salvation, it's from God. It's a gift of God through His Holy Spirit. And this is called sanctification. The definition through the Westminster uh, Confession is this, the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. This is God's gracious work in our hearts and lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It's an ongoing thing. It is from here on out. Paul is saying don't try to finish it on your own because God does this by his Holy Spirit. Interesting verse in verse 14. He says, Redeem... He redeemed us that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. What is the promise of the Spirit? What's he talking about? Well, God promised the children of Israel in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Jesus promised the coming of the Spirit in John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he, listen, this is a gift to you and me from God. When we come to faith in Christ, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he does. He will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Listen, Christian, believer, you cannot achieve holiness. You cannot live well enough and, and organize your life well enough to find holiness and perfection. We live in a corrupted, fallen world. We have corrupted, fallen bodies, right? We stand justified before holy God. We don't have to earn that. We are alive in Christ. Our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Our record has been expunged in Jesus on the cross. And yet, we live in a broken, fallen world. Our flesh and bone is part of that world. We have cravings. We have desires of the flesh. Those still battle. Those still rage. But in God's grace, He has given us a guide, a counselor, a friend, His Spirit, who speaks, who is speaking this morning. He's transforming you. His desire is to transform you. He's doing what we can't do on our own. It's not, a, it's not like becoming a Christian means, okay, now I'm going to try and follow all these rules and I'm going I'm to be holy. No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, He calls us to partner with Him in that. It's interesting. In, in 1 Thessalonians, He says that we can quench the Spirit which means to deny or disobey the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, Scripture tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit, which means to offend the Holy Spirit. So here's the gift of God, His Spirit, that He's given to us. And He's leading us, He's guiding us. But the Bible tells us that we can say, uh, no thanks. We can go and, and deny the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can offend the Holy Spirit. And if we live in that way, we will constantly be in conflict. We will constantly be in a place where we, we lack peace and we're still looking for affirmation. We're still looking for, to find our joy in this life, in the things of this life, rather than pressing in and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and letting Him reorganize our lives, spending time in His Word, pressing in, making Him the center of our lives. I know this is probably theologically way off base, so I shouldn't say in the sermon, but um, I feel bad for the Holy Spirit sometimes. I was thinking about it this week, not sometimes, but this week as I thought about it. I was thinking, you know, God is sovereign. He's, he's accomplishing His purpose, His will. Jesus accomplished salvation, what we needed on the cross. It is finished. It is done. And now the Holy Spirit's been left to babysit us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. Today, He's speaking to you. Will you offend Him? Will you deny the Holy Spirit this morning as He speaks to you through this message or through um, many ways? Will you turn away from Him or will you submit to Him? Because that's how we live the abundant life, right? That's how we live the abundant life. But many of us, we're just like those kids that the babysitter's left with. As soon as mom and dad walk out, we're up on the couch again and dancing on the tables or whatever his kids do. Um, but he is guiding us. He is speaking to us. This morning, he's speaking to you. The good news is it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on me uh, being holy. It's me surrendering. God does the heavy lifting. His Spirit does the transforming. But He calls us to submit to that process. Listen, many Christians, we've said, yes, I'll take no hell. That sounds good to me. Jesus is, the way you do that, fine, I'll take it. But I'm keeping control of my life. That is not the gospel. That is not God's desire. 
Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Listen, the gospel is about God. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, it's because of God, right? If you're here this morning and the Spirit is stirring in your heart, it's because of God. You're here this morning, it's because of God. God is moving. God loves you. God demonstrated His love for you. All of this is motivated for God so loved that He gave. The gospel is first and foremost about God. And here's the kicker for all of this, what Paul is trying to say. Verse 26, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. It is faith. You may say, well, that's a lot of stuff. Let's see. Regeneration, justification, sanctification. That all sounds confusing. No, what he's called you to is faith. He do- those, are, those are pictures of what he does. He's calling you to faith, to trust him for salvation. Trust what Christ did. Trust what God provided for salvation. And believer, he's saying, trust me every day. Trust me for your future. Trust me for your relationships. Trust me for your career. Trust in me. I've gotten you this far. I've come this far in drawing you and in speaking to you. Trust me for life. All of those things are through faith. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 8, kind of sums it up. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. None of us are religious enough. None of us work hard enough. None of of us are smart enough. God has reached into our lives and called our names. And listen, he's calling the names of the people he's placed you around every day. People at your job, people in your building, uh, people in your family. He wants to reach through you to call their names as well. And listen, you don't have to be clever. You don't have to be clever. First and foremost, just live out the gospel. Live out in obedience to the Holy Spirit in your everyday life. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in the Word, being sensitizing, resensitizing myself to the, to the voice of the Spirit of God in my life. And then He begins to open my eyes to the people around me, and He begins to work through my life as I demonstrate Christ in the way that I live. And He begins to awaken the dead all around us. Christian, this morning I hope that this message, bringing it back to the beginning, which is the gospel is about God Almighty. You are here this morning. You are where you are in your faith because God, period. Grow in that. Reflect on that. Rest in that. You're walking in the grace of God by faith. It's not your good works. It's all God. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, um, this morning, we are alive spiritually. We stand righteous and justified before your throne. And we will on the day of judgment. We will uh, on the day when we step into eternity beyond this life. We are in Christ, so there is no condemnation. That was all put on your son on the cross. And we will stand before you one day 
and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And God, we have the opportunity to live this life to the fullest, abundantly, not not stuck in the muck and the mire of um, trying to please the world around us, trying to find our affirmation and our approval by other people and other circumstances, not trying to, to get successful to find our peace and to find joy and meaning in life. We have found that in you and you've called us to press into that to press into your spirit, to listen, to be sensitive. Lord, help us to make space in our lives for your spirit to speak. Lord, we get so busy. We get get so busy running and and doing that we don't make space to sit and to listen, Lord God. may May we sit. May we rest in your goodness and in your grace, God. And may we live by faith that you might reach through us. God, open our eyes. Make us sensitive to the people around us that you are calling to yourself, that you are whispering, that you are awakening, God. May we be obedient. May we be sensitive into your spirit working through our lives to the people and the lives around us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.